Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we are speaking with Michael, a touring musician. And she was very insistent to the point where you're like, this is either the nicest human I've ever met or I'm gonna like end up being this woman's lampshade or something. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me tonight and coming on here just to talk a little bit about what you do and and what life is like for you. Can you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do for a living? My name is Michael Carter, and I play in a band called Jared in the Mill. I graduated from ASU in 2012, and then about a year and a half later, our band started going on the road pretty obsessively. Um, So I've mostly been a touring musician for the better part of the past decade, almost, uh, my 20s, more or less. I've done a lot of different things, but I've mostly been in a band. I'm a touring musician. Is this something you always knew you were going to do, or did you kind of stumble into it? Not at all. Not at all. I started playing music as a kid, and I was in orchestra and all that, but I was mostly in it because my parents told me I had to play an instrument of some kind, (laughs) as well as I had to play a sport. Slowly, they let me just play an instrument and not do a sport, which was cool. But I've always kind of done a lot of different activities. I've always been like a master of nothing. Like I've always just liked trying out a lot of different stuff. So my life could have gone a whole myriad of different directions, I think. But I was in a band in college and we played for fun. And I graduated college and said band was like, yo, we are thinking about hitting the road. And then we picked up a manager and it was like, we're going to go on the road all the time. And I was like, great. So I just kind of kept going with it. And here I am. So you play the banjo in your band. I do. Tell me about that. Is that as an inch that that's not a, a common instrument that you hear about? No. Um, d- did you always know how to play that? Not at all. I don't even know if I still know how to play it. Um, I, I, I played a lot of different instruments. And when the band started playing together, it was my best friend, Jared, had started the band. I played with him a ton, but mostly guitar. When he met some people, through a friend that he wanted to jam with, which was our drummer, Josh, and our lead guitar player, Larry, and eventually our bass player, Chuck. Originally, it was like, oh, Jared was like, I already kind of have a guitar player, which was really adorable because Larry was like a jazz major at ASU and was an amazing guitar player. And it was like, Larry should play guitar, not me, obviously. And right around that same time, my grandfather had cleared out his basement and he lives in Florida. My mom's family's all from the South. There's been a lot of like mandolin and banjo and guitar players on that side of the family. And he's like, Hey, I found a mandolin and I found this banjo. And like, do you want it? I'll send it to you. I was like, yeah, it's perfect. Actually. I would love you to. And then I brought it to one of our little jams and started playing it for on a few songs. And then I just kind of fell in love with it and started primarily playing it. And that just kind of fell in my lap. I read a little bit on the history of you guys. You guys all yeah. went to ASU together. What's the history behind the name? We originally were like a backup band for Jared. When it first started, it was like Jared had written some songs and wanted some people to play those songs with. And depending on if we were doing like a battle of the bands or if we were playing somewhere that night, we would go by like Jared Colsar and the whoever. It's like we went with the locals at this like battle of the bands thing, I think. The name was very long, Jared Colsar. It's not always very easy to remember. And we wanted to condense it, but we had been like, in our minds, we had been around long enough that we couldn't dramatically change the name. Looking back, no one knew who the heck we were, so we couldn't change it to anything we wanted. But anyway, we went with Jared and the Mill. The Mill 
we were near Mill Avenue on Tempe. That's kind of like the drinking district of Tempe. And there's a big flour mill you can see on the horizon when you're approaching Tempe. And then it felt like our songwriting process was very much like someone would bring a song to the band and we'd kind of run it through the mill, so to speak. So it kind of worked. It sounded kind of like a kid's book or something, Jared in the Mill, Noah and the Whale, or I don't know. So we just, we thought... Well, it's, you know, it's 2011 and hipsters love owls and uh, mills and old things, right? This works. And so let's talk about the the hard question. When you're in a band, how does pay work? Our band's funny. We've we've been very communist in how our band is constructed pay-wise. Like it, it, at the end of the day, it feels like everyone's work eventually. We all do different things in the band and outside of the band. And we just have gotten to a a point early on where it was like we just kind of evenly split everything and we're just happy to have enough money to pay for the next motel room or wherever it was on tour but as we started to make a little bit of money and and putting music out into the world where you're dealing with royalties and splits on each song being streamed which is you know pennies because it's streaming services you're splitting half of a penny on a play five ways so it's like you license a song that gets split different ways but for the most part I guess to condense the question down, it would be that we make money on the road, we make money on merch, make money from a guarantee from the venue that night. So they'd be paying you $1,000, let's say, just straight to be playing at the venue that night. And then you're making whatever you make from merch. Of course, that money's going, going towards gas, fuel, all those things. But at the end of a tour, we would you know split that money evenly in some capacity or we would reinvest it in the band. Once we all started actually having like lives and not being in school anymore, we started doing like a payout every month where it was like, because we're all leaving ourselves incredibly free to just go on tour when we need to or chase whatever opportunity, here's the amount of money each band member will make each month so that we can keep doing this. And kind of any additional money goes back into paying off the van, gear, investing in a new recording or a new record or whatever it would be. And then the other money is obviously coming from royalties and your splits from the song and it being streamed or it being featured in a commercial or whatever so comes in a lot of different ways is what I guess I'm trying to say right. but we've been very democratic about it songwriter will always make a little bit more on that okay. like licensing end that I'm talking about and then band members and people who contributed would split another pool of that but on the just actual sweat part of the band being on the road and all that it's pretty pretty even so and you mentioned that you know a lot of you guys were kind of having your other sources of income this is your only source of income right now or what I did early on up until I keep talking about being in a band in the past tense like it's over but just (laughs) since quarantine started and we haven't been able to tour at all anymore when we were touring uh you know six to eight months out of the year I would spend any time we were home working another gig and I would do that and just sort of save as much money as I could for the next time we went on the road and I would still be getting paid out through the band so that was a little bit of money every month whether we were on the road or not enough to pay my bills while we were gone And then when I was home, I would just try to get ahead of it as I could. And a lot of people do that. And because of that, you're limited to the jobs you can go and take because they need to be okay with you kind of leaving on a whim. So it leaves you to more or less either go get rehired to be a bartender every night or whatever, or work an online job or whatever it may be. I was fortunate enough to have construction to always lean on. I worked construction since I was a teenager for a company my dad's worked for for a long time. And so I would just hit that as hard as I could when I came home and um, 
recently I had started working with another buddy of mine and doing more like handyman stuff and okay. some more like kind of art forward projects, which was really cool. Construction was great because it pays well and, you know, they're just happy to have you. And also because I had a relationship with the company for so long, they were kind of okay with it when maybe they wouldn't have been otherwise. <laughs> so I got lucky there. It's unfortunately, I think a part of doing this is you have to find either kind of bum it and, and not have a lot of living expenses. So you can kind of have somewhere to be when you aren't on the road. Or you, like I said, find these temporary gigs that can kind of float you while you're trying to get to a point where you even have close to enough money to just do this, you know. Our drummer, Josh, has worked for a company that his brother runs remotely and and it's incredibly stressful. He, you know, there have been times we're sound checking and the second we finish sound check, he's in the green room and on his computer because he's got to answer something really quick. I did a little bit of social media work for an app called Bravo for a little while when we were on the road. And it's definitely stressful because you're juggling two things at once. The Being on the road is very, you have long periods of nothing to do. So if you can get inter- internet access from a vehicle and you do have a significant part of your day that you can get things done, but it, eventually things start to rub, you know, but it's doable. What were, in a nutshell, your work hours prior to COVID? Is it, I mean, you're on the road all the time. How much of that time on the road are you devoting to music? It, it goes t- two different ways. Like there, on tour, there are days when you would just rather do anything but load into a venue again and set up all your gear again and set up the merch stand again and get your drink tickets and your little green room situation figured out and go find a place to eat in the neighborhood you've never been in and sleep in a bed that isn't yours. But, and it feels very all consuming, but there are a lot of hours that you kind of have to yourself that I forget are really nice to, you know, like once I've been home, I've been like, Oh yeah, there was just sometimes two to 10 hours out of my day where I was just in a van where it was like, I could read I could listen to a podcast. I could kind of chill. I'm only only expected to work for like this five hour period of like load in, sound check, play the show, sell the merch, repack the gear, drive to wherever we're sleeping. So I would say it ranges. Some days you work like four hours and then other, if you count the driving, which certainly feels like a job sometimes and the waking up early to go to an interview or whatever it may be, it is kind of around the clock some days too. So different days, different expectations of you. So Can you tell us a little bit about the songwriting process? I mean, I've always wondered, do you write the lyrics first or the melody first? And like, how long on average does it take to produce and record one song or one album? Like, how long does that take for like a four minute song? Once again, it it depends. I think for me, sometimes I'll have something on guitar or another instrument, some kind of melody that I've picked out that I like a lot and I'll want to put words to it. Not the case most often for me though. Most often I'll have like some sort of little nugget in my phone on my notes in my phone. That's like some set of rhyming words that I liked or some thought that I had and that'll become a song like later or I'll bring it to the guys and be like, hey, I got this chorus but I have no clue on the rest of the song. Then like Larry, Jared, they'll fully flesh out a song and then bring it to the band and their process is kind of their own. I know Jared just likes to get completely drunk by himself and write. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, honestly can be a good vibe I think for getting your feelings out on paper but a lot of different ways to do it and then as far as recording it goes it depends like I've had songs that I've had written for two years and the opportunities just never come and then I present it to the band and it gets thought out and the producer likes it and it gets put on the record 
And the one thing we haven't done really is and that a lot of bands have done is like you go into the studio and you write in the studio where you're writing these songs in real time and recording them. We've always kind of gone in with some sort of template of a song finished and then taken it whatever direction we take it. So a lot of different bands do it a lot of different ways. We have mostly been sharing songs together and then allowing each other to contribute, then bringing those songs to a producer. You know, I'll, I'll sit and think about a song for a month and I know other people that write a song in a night and it's like amazing to me. I love it. It's so cool to be around people that are like that and, you know, have them pour themselves into anything you've come up with is an honor. It really is. It's really cool. So touring, how do you pick cities or venues? I mean, is it strictly, what, what factors do you consider? There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, we, we've had a booking agent for a long time they are always looking at, you know, you want to go to a mix of places you've been before where you already kind of have a following or have a crowd and try to grow that market. And then you also want to go to some new places and start to grow a market there. That obviously means that some nights you're going to play on a Friday night in Chicago for like 500 people or something crazy. And then like the next night, it's a Monday, you know, the next day you tour is like Monday night and you're in, you know, Grand Rapids or something and you've never played there before and you're playing for like 10 people and a bartender in a tiny club and wondering is this what I should be doing I don't know it's like it's ups and downs with that for sure but you can look now online and kind of look at where your your, your music's like being listened to you can get on like a Spotify artist app and see that in Colorado and Denver there's a lot of people listening to us lately or cities that you've put some money into promoting yourself in but you're mostly hitting major cities and then trying to hit little cultural enclaves in between. So you might play, you know, Charlotte and Richmond, but you'll also go play like, there's little towns that have big music scenes. And so you try to hit those two and mostly major cities. And then you get to see all these little places in between. So you you pick them, I would say, based on where you know you're being listened to, where you've played before. And each time you've played, there's more and more people. And then also promoters will reach out. Some promoters will reach out from a small town or from a part of a city that you've never been in. And see that you're on tour and want to book you as well. I'm sure our booking agent, Alex and Jared would shake their head at this because there's so much more that goes into this decision making. <laughs> but, but yeah, you kind of, you, you're strategic about it for sure. Do you have a, a favorite city to play at? Man, I like, there's a lot of cities I like. I really love playing in Atlanta. Atlanta's a really cool city. It's just a cool town. I like people's attitude there. I, I don't know. It's, it's, Southern. <laughs> it's the only way I can put it. You know, I, I love it there. I love Durham that I mentioned before. Durham, North Carolina is a really cool place. I love it there. I love playing there. I love playing in New York City. I love New York. I love really big cities like that in Chicago and Dallas and Portland and Seattle. Seattle, I love. See, the food is so good in Seattle. I could go to Seattle any day of the week. When you guys are on the road all the time, how do you manage your personal relationships? How do you guys prioritize family? I mean, are you always do families often come along? How does that work? We haven't had to encounter the experience yet of people having children or being married and being on the road. I just got married this year. Our drummer, Josh, just got married as well. Um, Everyone is in relationships and uh, all of which they've been in for a long time. And as far as family goes, like, you know, family members and stuff, you obviously just miss them a ton. You miss seeing your parents, you miss seeing And other opportunities, though, because you're on the road, you get to see a ton of family you never get to see. You know, you get to see aunts and uncles and people around that you normally don't get to. Personal relationships, though, like with with a wife or a girlfriend, um, it it is hard for for sure. I think it takes certain personalities to be able to handle the 
lifestyle of it. It's not even necessarily necessary that like your relationship is strong or this or that. It's like, it's more like people. It's like, who, who are you in a relationship with and what are their expectations of you and of your relationship together? Like I, I feel very, very fortunate. I met my wife right when we started touring and she's very independent and very sure of herself and what she wants. And I don't know. I know we, it sounds so cheesy. We just never really had a hard time with it. We had, I mean, arguments and things couples normally have, but it wasn't the road was particularly hard on us. We had the same challenges any relationship does, but none of them felt brought on by my lifestyle or her lifestyle. We seem to have a pretty good understanding of this is the time in our life when we're really chasing these things and we don't have to see each other every single day to feel romantic. But at the same time, with modern technology, it's pretty easy to stay connected. You can yeah. literally see each other every day, talk to each other every day. You can't physically hug one another, but you can look at one another and talk and text and send photos and be in each other's days. So as long as you can communicate well, I think you're in luck. Walk me through an average day of a show. What do you guys do all day? <laughs> well, we would wake up wherever we are. And it depends on how long of a drive we have, how early we're getting up. But let's just make it as hellacious as possible for entertainment's sake. Let's say we need to be in uh, Denver and we're waking up in the morning in Phoenix. That means we're waking up very, 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 very early in the morning to make that drive happen. And we would be spending the entire day driving, getting to Denver, passing out, waking up in the morning, having some time to chill, and then going to the venue and doing the thing. On a normal day, it would be like we have a two to six hour drive. So we'd get up at a reasonable hour, and we'd route ourselves to the venue. We would get to the venue, find out if anyone is at the venue that can let us in. Hopefully there are, because they've been expecting us. They would let you in, you'd load your gear in, you would find out from whoever's working there whether it's okay for you to start putting your stuff on the stage, you start setting your gear up, sound uh, engineer would uh, arrive eventually, and you do a sound check, so you'd run through all your instruments, you play a couple of songs, the sound guy would get comfortable. If you don't have someone running sound for you on tour, you're using the venues person, you get sound check done, you hang out in the green room, you go find yourself something to eat, or you walk around the block and talk to your girlfriend on the phone, if you're the headliner that night, then you're watching the other bands play and being in the green room and talking with them. And if you're on the road with them for a while, then it's really fun because you're just kind of hanging out in a room with your friends for a couple hours while each other go out and play. You get on stage, do your set. Once you do your set, usually you go backstage for a little while, then you go to merch. At merch, you sell merch. If you're a band like us and you're not a huge band, you're selling <laughs> your own merch. So we would go and sell merch and meet fans and shake hands and sign stuff and hang out and have a drink with your uncle who's in town or whatever and <laughs> you just kind of hang until it's closing time and then they kick everybody out and it's time to pack up all your gear and throw it in the trailer and go wherever it is that you're sleeping that night hopefully it's right down the street and you're not doing this with a situation where you have an interview the next morning in such and such state and you need to drive overnight or whatever it may be so most of the time your booking agent if they're being nice to you is uh booking you in a way that that's not happening very often most days are kind of the same. They're kind of just like that. You wake up, you drive, you load in, you play, you sell stuff, you pack it back up, you go to sleep. How do you guys decide on where to stay? Is it is it strictly like proximity to the venue or is it cost or is it? Uh, it's all those things. We kind of realized early on that if we had any hope of making any amount of money as a small band on the road, it would mean that we had to 
have a bit more of a Spartan lifestyle on the road. You can have a bus and it's very expensive. If you're on a label or you have that kind of budget, then you're, you're probably able to afford one. But even still, you might be in a van because you're, you're really spending most of your tour income on lodging and fuel and so forth otherwise. So we took it upon ourselves pretty early to like, it's five guys. So around the nation, it was just hard for us to have a city that we didn't have a friend or a relative or a high school buddy in. So we got really used to asking people if we could crash with them. Got used to sleeping on floors and on couches. And, you know, every once in a while, you're with a really well-to-do family and everyone has a bedroom. It's amazing. Yeah. Lodging is mostly people we know, which honestly um, is good. I, I think it's good for your mind. It can sometimes be a little crazy if it's not super comfortable, but most of the people who've continued to open their homes to us, it's kind of amazing because you, you know, you get a home cooked meal, you get to pet a dog and there's photos on the fridge and you kind of feel like a normal human being for a little while when you're on the road. It's kind of nice for your mind. Bands that do nothing but motels and venues and that's your only environment for two months. I think I would lose my mind. What is maybe one of the best days that you've had at your job or what's a day that really stands out in a positive way? There's days on tour when, like I said, say you drove into the city you need to be in last night. So you wake up when you want to. You're hanging out with your buddies in someone's kitchen and making breakfast. You get in the van and you go into town like San Francisco or something. It's a town you really love. You go to a coffee shop and it's the same coffee shop you've been to before. It's familiar. Maybe you even know the person behind the counter. At the venue, ticket sales are good. Uh, you know, you're going to be playing for a good crowd. The crowd is awesome and is interacting with you. And you feel like it's uh, worth it to be missing out on, you know, your nephew's birthday or something back home because you just got to play for these people and do this thing in this place. And then you just feel very fortunate to be doing what you're doing. Those are kind of the best days, I think. The hope is that they become increasingly less rare as you go forward, but they still are rare on the road. I think even when you are doing well as a musician, even when you're in cities that there's a big crowd and so forth, it's not always the best day. But when all of it comes together, when like you're staying in a place you love, you're seeing people you love, you're eating things you love, you're playing for people, they are loving it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blend of little moments. Yeah. Yeah. What is maybe a bad day at work or what's a challenge that you feel like you have to face a lot? Oh, it was, it was a couple of years ago, but we, we had all these early morning news spots where we, we would like play on the local news morning show to promote the show that was going to happen that night. But these things get filmed at like five in the morning. So I think we finished a show in Ohio somewhere. It was like a situation where it was like a seven hour drive the next day. And when we looked at when we were going to get out of the venue at that night. And then when, you know, it'd be like going home and sleeping for, it'd be like going to the place we were staying, sleeping for two hours, getting up and driving in order to make it to this morning show. So we just decided to do it overnight. The troubling part was that we had done the same thing the night before. So it was like, okay, so two nights in a row, we finished the show, driven through the night, gotten interviewed on this morning news thing, had nowhere to really go, but a couple hours to kill before we got to go to the venue to load in. And we did like two of those in a row. And I just remember being so tired and we drove through the night, got to this news venue. It was still dark outside. This guy let us inside. We, we load in really quickly. We kind of get in this room. They put us in front of these cameras that are actually like these little robot cameras. It literally felt like a dream. And then suddenly it was like, okay, you're on. And the lights hit us. And I remember there was like a screen where we could see ourselves and see what the camera was doing. And we just looked like, like, <laughs> 
looked so bad. Like I had bags under my eyes. Jared looked like he'd just seen a ghost. Our clothes were all like wrinkled from sleeping in the van. We all looked like someone had just like let the air out of us. And, and honestly, like I have all the respect and love in the world for our morning news shows. I want to make that very clear, but they're not always like that fruitful in like getting people to your show because not a lot of people at 7 a.m are like drinking their coffee and are like i can't wait to see a band tonight monday night that isn't going on till 11 so in a way it was like we just did this for nothing <laughs> we're just looking at this camera now and we look like some you know cutthroat gang in a cowboy movie or something we look like hell it was so funny that was a bad day in the end hilarious but ultimately not a great day Okay, well, what about a very unexpected or weird experience? We were in Asheville, North Carolina. That's the town I was trying to think of earlier. And played a show. We had booked a hotel room, but it had gotten messed up in their system. Like it didn't end up getting booked. So we finished the show. It was pretty late at night. We got to the hotel and they told us like, "You're, you're not on file. We don't have, and we're booked. The whole hotel is booked. And in fact, like every hotel in town is booked because there's this huge convention going on right now and um dude good luck and it was like okay well we can't book an airbnb on the fly when we need to be asleep in like an hour what do we do so we're outside of this hotel this gal comes walking up to jared and the guys in the lobby i was in the van at the time and it's like asking the lobby guy like hey i'm hungry like i i'm looking for food and everything's closed you know if anything's open and the guy was like i mean like waffle house is open like down the street but like that's it she's like okay whatever and like leaves and then she comes back in and she's like are you guys what do you guys deal and this is a sweet this very sweet lady and they were like we just found out we can't stay here there's nowhere to stay in town and she's immediately like oh you guys are a band blah 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 and then she's like you can stay with me like i've got this big old house we're doing a remodel right now so we're living in the guest house, but you guys can stay in the house that we're remodeling. It's a really old house, but you can stay in it. Oh and she was very insistent to the point where you're like, this is either the nicest human I've ever met, or I'm gonna like end up being this woman's lampshade or something. I don't know what's gonna happen. We just met this person on the street at midnight and they're telling us to stay with them. Anyway, she gives us directions and we say the hell with it, we'll give it a shot. Like maybe she's the nicest lady in the world and we just end up staying here every time we're in Asheville. We pull up to exactly what she said. It was like a very big old Victorian like looking home. It was beautiful on the inside, but she was remodeling it. So there was like plastic up everywhere. Oh, the gosh. whole downstairs kitchen was demoed. She was clearly like had drank a lot of wine that night and was like kind of coherently telling us like what the deal was. And she's like, so we're standing there with our duffel bags. Like this is a scene out of a movie. This woman's going to kill us all or something. So she's like now right upstairs you go through the plastic and the whole upstairs is done. All the bedrooms are done and you just pick a bedroom and you just go to sleep. I'm going to go to sleep too. I'll see you guys later. And just like bails. And we're in this like half renovated house. Like, I guess we're sleeping here. So we all go upstairs and it was beautiful. It was like out of architectural digest magazine. It was amazing. It was like this beautiful, like home and uh, restoration hardware looking like house. And, Jared and I got in these two twin like guest beds and we're just giggling to ourselves because we're like, this is the funniest thing in the world. We wake up in the morning and she had told us like, hey, you just need to be gone by like nine because that's when the construction crew gets here to keep working on the house. We're like, okay, cool. Like we'll be gone way before then. We get woken up at like seven 
and it's her in the stairwell being like you guys gotta go now time to go and we're like okay so we like get up and get dressed and we're going down the stairs and as i'm going down the stairs i'm the first one down the stairs and i look in the living room and there's this guy standing there super handsome he looks like kurt russell or something he's got like a coffee mug and he's standing there and looking up at me coming down the stairs but he's not looking at me like i'm a stranger you know not like what the hell are you doing in my house i I assumed he's the husband as i'm coming down the stairs so i come down the stairs and he's like what are you guys working on up there and i was like oh he thinks i'm in the construction crew and i was like uh we were sleeping we're i thought like i was assuming his wife had briefed him that this band was in his attic and he's like yeah and i was like oh we were sleeping up there and he laughed like ha 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 like so what are you guys working on and i was like oh no we we're a band we slept up there and his wife comes in and she's like oh my gosh I didn't tell you these are the guys like and this guy is just laughing in this way that I'm like is this not the first time this has happened because you seem to be like oh here she goes again but I'm like that's us and thankfully he wasn't mad because the story was like yeah so we met your wife at a hotel last night so instead we were like, yeah, we're a band. We played locally. We met your wife. We told her this fiasco we had. We couldn't book this hotel. It ended up being the nicest guy ever. We chatted with them for a while and we left. But yeah, there's just, I mean, those are the times that I'm texting my wife, like I'm asleep in this renovated house right now. This is not where I expected my night, my night to be going. So I guess we'll see you later. Oh my God. It was so funny. I couldn't, that's wow. just the most Southern hospitality, like. What's a job that really interests you? Maybe if you weren't a musician, what's something else that you would really love to do? Honestly, I think I I would really love to do art direction, like be an art director for bands, like for musicians to, you know, I, I love as much as I love music. I really love album covers and music videos and the clothing that musicians wear on stage and the, the things that are projected behind them while they're on stage the whole world that a musician creates so cool to me it's one of the reasons I get into the musicians I like is I'm like man this guy has a whole like I started loving the weekend because I was like this guy has like a whole thing going on it's not just the music it's like everything this all interacts together I love that stuff so I would love to be the person who kind of knows what the thing is and and allocates all the resources between graphic designers and artists and illustrators and music video directors and clothing designers and stuff and like creates the whole world around a musician would be the I would just love love to do that for like a for a label or for a particular artist thank you to Michael for donating his time to the show follow us on Instagram at employed podcast and if you'd like to be a guest on our show visit employedpodcast.com thanks for listening <laughs>